Welcome to the Mariners Podcast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. It is Saturday, July 22nd, uh, just before the start of the Blue Jays Mariners game. It is Logan Gilbert against Kevin Gosman. We are going to recap yesterday's uh, performance by the Mariners uh, last night. Uh, we are also going to talk about what what's next for the Mariners. I looked over a few uh, trade candidates that I think would be good candidates for the Mariners to acquire uh, in this stretch run. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about uh, what to do about the pitching staff in that number five slot. Um, so the Mariners won last night 3-2. We will go over that in a minute. It was a thrilling comeback. Mariners were down 2-0 uh, in the seventh and came back to win 3-2 against the Blue Jays. Mariners are now 49-48, and 48, eight and a half games out of the uh, lead in the American League West behind the Texas Rangers, four and a half games out of the wild card. Mariners have a plus 28 run differential and are five and five in their last 10 games. Uh, in this game last night, Really, the hero was Teo Hernandez. He had the walk-off single to win it off of uh, the Blue Jays' closer, Jordan Romano. Um, But Bryce Miller also kept the Mariners in the game and did Bryce Miller things. We'll dig into his his pitching, his pitch mix, um, which I found very interesting. So Teo Hernandez went three for five. He had that walk-off. that walk-off single and he looked very motivated against his former team, the Blue Jays. I just, I trust him. I don't know what it is about Teoscar Hernandez. I know that he hasn't had the season that the Mariners have really, um, really wanted to see from him, but I, I feel like he's, I trust him in clutch situations, in pressure situations. And he came through in this game. Uh, Ty France also went two for three. He had a run in an RBI. I know he's been working really hard uh, to try to square up more balls and hit more balls to right center. He was stepping in the bucket a little bit. Um, Leading up to this game, he hit in the six hole, which is a little bit lower for him, specifically against a left-handed starter in Yusei Kikuchi. But uh, he was able to come through specifically with uh, the double that he hit in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, couple other players that played okay. Uh, AJ Pollock had a, uh, had a base hit, uh, double in the seventh, um, off of a right-hander. Interestingly enough, uh, Mike Ford had an RBI single in the seventh. That was, uh, helped the Mariners come back to win. And of course, Jose Caballero was right in the middle of it with a walk and a single. So offensively, Mariners didn't get a ton of offense, but they got it when it counted and when they needed it. Uh, So down 2-0 in the seventh, Ty France walked. A.J. Pollock doubled, which put runners on uh, second and third. The Blue Jays brought in Eric Swanson, who the Mariners had dealt to the Blue Jays in that Teo Hernandez trade. Uh, And Swanson has been nails for the Blue Jays. Uh, Ultimately, Mike Ford hit an RBI single. He faced two splitters for the first two pitches that he that he saw. He was in a one-one count. 
why anyone chooses to throw a fastball to Mike Ford is beyond me. He absolutely destroys fastballs against right-handers and really can't do much against any other type of pitch. Swanson threw him a fastball that was, I assume, was supposed to be way up and out of the zone. Um, It was not a strike, but he still hit it for a single. It was not hit hard, but he ended up singling. uh, Mariners are down now 2-1. Jose Caballero hit a fielder's choice in which A.J. Pollock was out at home. I think that that was a contact play, I assume, on the Mariners' part where Pollock was basically going on contact. Uh, J.P. Crawford flew out to right field. Jose Caballero stole second. Uh, Julio walked in this situation. I think the Blue Jays are, you know, despite Julio's statistics or his rate stats, uh, the Blue Jays have been avoiding him quite a bit. And then Eugenio Suarez struck out. So the Mariners are down 2-1 going into the eighth. Uh, In the eighth, Taylor Hernandez flew to center field. Tom Murphy singled. And then Ty France uh, doubled uh, to left field to drive in Tom Murphy to tie the game at 2-2. What was interesting about that at bat is that he saw a sinker in and then a curveball way outside. This was against uh, against Jimmy Garcia, the uh, Blue Jays' eighth inning reliever. But then he got two more sinkers uh, that were in, kind of like the first pitch that he saw. I think it was at that point Ty France had really lined up that sinker and knew what the movement looked like and the and the velocity looked like, and it. What I have in my notes is that it was easy to see coming. So despite its velocity and its movement, you know, it's a pitch that Ty France was familiar with. I go back to the this idea that pitchers throwing the same pitch over and over again doesn't make a lot of sense to me unless you're Mariano Rivera. Uh, so he drove in Murphy, makes the game 2-2. Jordan Romano, the Blue Jays all-star closer, came in the bottom of the ninth. Jose Caballero walks. He just, he finds a way to get on base in... Uh, clutch situations. Uh, he's another player that I really do trust. J.P. Crawford sacrificed uh, Caballero to second. Uh, the Blue Jays, interestingly, in this situation with a runner on second and one away in the bottom of the ninth, chose to walk uh, Julio Rodriguez. Now, so on the one hand, I understand setting up the double play, right? That makes sense. You have runners on first and second and one out. So, you would typically walk uh, a player with a decent bat in that situation. Julio this season, his triple slash is 244, 311, 707. So from a uh, rate stat standpoint, Julio Rodriguez is not a scary hitter to face in that situation, but it was clear that the Blue Jays respected him and decided to intentionally walk him. I think that um, it speaks to his talent and it speaks to his ability to rise to the occasion that they chose to walk him in that situation. So Eugenio Suarez comes up, flies out to right field, uh, runners advance, so second and third, two away, Teoscar Hernandez against his former team, singles to deep right field uh, to walk it off, drives in Caballero, Mariners go nuts, This was a slider that was belt high, outer rail. He hit a 104 off the bat. It was a 650 uh, expected batting average on that batted ball event. Uh, Mariners go nuts. Very positive, um, exciting way to end the game, especially off of a closer, the quality of Jordan Romano. Uh, 
Mariners didn't necessarily look good in this game. This is like a typical Mariners game where they get good pitching and figure out a way to uh, to eke out the win. But congrats, Tail, specifically against your former team. Um, Pitching-wise, so Bryce Miller goes five and a third, three hits, one run, two walks, six strikeouts. Justin Topa comes in two-thirds of an inning, scoreless ball. Gabe Spire, two-thirds of an inning, gives up a run. Prelander Baroa made his debut, Mariners prospect. Um, fastball slider was a starting pitching prospect uh, coming up. Mariners decided to make him a reliever. I think that's a smart move. He was clearly a bit nervous, uh, not in his demeanor, but in terms of his command and control. He walks three and two-thirds of an inning, but gets away with not giving up a run. Uh, Tyler Saucedo, Taylor Saucedo, excuse me, I always mispronounce that, two-thirds of an inning, scoreless, and then Paul Seawald pitches a scoreless top of the ninth, which gives him the win that takes him to 3-0. and Of note, uh, Bryce Miller, 15 of the 21 batters he faced, he threw first pitch strikes. He was 77% fastball, forcing fastball, which is actually higher than his uh, yearly average. He sits at 68% over the year through even more fastballs than than he has previously. I just, it's such a, an amazing quality pitch that I think when he faces teams for the first time, they don't really know what to do with it because of the spin. Um, so 77% fastball from Bryce Miller. He averaged 94.7 on the fastball. 94.9 is his yearly average. So nothing of concern there. Nine whiffs and 31 swings at 29%. Uh, whiff rate, he threw 19% sliders and uh, 4% changeups. I think he's starting to realize that fastball slider is is the direction that he has to go. I know that coming up he had two different sliders, um, but that hard slider is the one that I think is most effective in this game. He threw that slider at uh, 86.6 miles an hour. An 87-mile-an-hour slider is is hard, and it's an effective pitch. Uh, so I, as for a comparison, obviously, he's not Spencer Strider. But I wanted to look at Strider because Strider is a fast, primarily fastball slider pitcher. Um, he throws 97.2. That's his average fastball this season for Strider. Obviously, that's harder than the the 94.9 yearly average from Miller, but Miller throws it with more spin and almost 250 RPMs more spin than uh, Spencer Strider does. So different shape of a pitch, um, less velocity, better shape. Uh, and then Strider's slider is uh, he throws 33% of the time at 85.7 miles an hour. Bryce Miller's, Slider this year's average 86.4. So harder slider, also more spin to the slider. About He's averaging um, about 30 more uh, RPMs than, than Strider's slider. So from a spin rate standpoint, uh, Miller is either matching or bettering Spencer Strider. Uh, Velocity-wise, a little harder slider than Strider. Um, and obviously a less... Uh, a few takes less on the fastball. And I'm not calling Bryce Miller a Spencer Strider because Strider is probably the best 
starting pitcher in the National League. What I am saying is that Strider has found a way to essentially throw fastball, slider, and a handful of changeups to left-handed hitters. And I think that, at least as of right now, looks like the uh, formula for success from Bryce Miller. Uh, I found that comparison, again, very interesting. He The one run he gave up was a solo home run to Danny Jansen, Blue Jays catcher, in the top of the fifth. This was a 92.7 mile an hour four seam fastball that was basically middle middle. And it was a bad pitch. Um, it's the kind of pitch that you would expect a major leaguer to hit out. Uh, that was the one, the one pitch that he threw that was that you could really criticize. Other than that, he was nails. Uh, Prelander Baroa, just for, for reference, since this was his first major league outing. Through 14 sliders and 10 fastballs, the slider, if he can locate it, is freaking dynamite. Uh, 86.5 in terms of velocity on that slider. Uh, 2,459 RPM average on the slider. Uh, for reference, that is uh, about 50 RPMs more than Bryce Miller's slider. Um, looked to be a very quality pitch. I think that's his best pitch. He did throw 10 fastballs at 96.4 miles an hour average. Uh, spin rate is not quite as good, excuse me, on that fastball at 20, at 2200, but fastball was, uh, looked like he could get it up to 99 miles an hour. I know the Mariners sent him back down. I would expect Baroa to be a big part of the bullpen moving forward. The last, uh, I guess a bit of information from this game from me is that I wanted to see what kind of patience Julio Rodriguez showed in his at-bats uh, because they gave him the day off. I think that his big, my criticism of Julio is that he's swinging too early in the count and he's not getting into good hitters counts. He's chasing pitchers pitches. It's why he's making, while he's making hard contact, it's not where he wants it to go uh, because he's, not getting deep deep enough into counts. He's not getting pitches that are favorable for him. So in the five plate appearances, he saw 18 pitches. I see that as a positive. That's three plus pitches per at bat. That's more than I think you're used to seeing him see uh, before he sat down for that day off. Seven swings on 18 pitches. That also looks to me to be a lower number than what we've seen so far. Uh, in his first at bat, it was a six pitch line out to right field. It was 103 off the bat and a 700 XBA. So if you trust expected batting average, seven out of 10 times, that would have been a hit. Um, I consider that a very good at bat from Julio, six pitches, uh, a batted ball event that, that typically turns into a base hit. Next at bat was first pitch he saw was a fastball that was up and in. It was a strike. Uh, he grounded out to third base. I would have liked to have seen him take that pitch, despite the fact that it was a strike, um, just to get deeper into the count. Uh, third at bat was a four-pitch strikeout. Um, he saw a fastball up, curveball low and away, change, change up low and outside, and then a slider that was from Kikuchi that was basically very hittable pitch, but with two strikes, it looked like Julio was really fooled on that pitch. Uh, next at bat was a seven pitch walk against Eric Swanson. Swanson went slider and then six splitters. 
the location of those pitches was pretty clear that, you know, Julio, he wasn't taking really close pitches for balls, but the fact that he saw seven pitches is a good sign as well. And then he was intentionally walked in that last at bat, as I spoke of earlier. Um, but I think positive signs from him in that he's hitting the ball hard when he does hit it and he's seeing more pitches. Um, that's a step in the right direction from Julio Rodriguez. So again, Mariners win three, two, walk it off. Former Toronto Blue Jay, Teoscar Hernandez has the walk off single. Really fun game to start off three game series against the Blue Jays. Uh, Mariners are now one game over 500 and eight and a half games out of the American League West. All right. So what do the Mariners do next? There's what, 10 days left, I think, before the trade deadline. Obviously, Mariners have to do something. We covered earlier in the week, Jerry DePoto essentially walking the line of, I'm going to see if we play well in these next 10 days. If we do, we might lean slightly towards the buyer side. If we slump, we might lean slightly slightly towards building for 24. Um, he really did. He was a bit of a mush mouth, but I, I think that's the right approach. So let's start with pitching. You know, pitching costs a lot on the market right now. Every team is looking for pitching. The Mariners clearly need to think about the innings that Brian Wu has thrown thus, thus far this season. Um, I don't believe he has more than a couple starts left. We don't have any updates on Marco Gonzalez and his health. Uh, I think the solve, honestly, is to bring up uh, Emerson Hancock eventually to take that fifth starter spot. He has thrown 86 innings thus far this season in double A. He threw 98 and a third innings last season. Uh, I do think he could add probably another 30 innings or so to that 98 from last season. That would put, that would give him another, what, 45 innings left this season. If you make him a five and dive type of dude, that's nine starts. That gets you pretty close to the end um, of the season. So I would like to see Hancock come up and become that number five once Bryce Wu is, uh, excuse me, Brian Wu is done. I think the Mariners will do that. Hancock is 24 years old, doesn't have a whole lot to prove in double A anymore. So look for Hancock to become the number five starter for the Mariners unless the Mariners uh, trade a starting pitcher, which I do not expect. Bat-wise, obviously the, the offense needs some help. This is a middle-of-the-road offense from a run-scored standpoint and a, a uh, batter's metric standpoint, as Jerry DePoto pointed out. But they need help. And for my money, I so I looked at a number of bats that have been either been mentioned in articles or I see as shorter-term sort of um, bats that the Mariners could, I wouldn't say easily acquire, but... Uh, could acquire without really disturbing their core. The first one, I've pounded the table for. I will pound the table again. It is Jorge Soler. He has an opt-out in 2023. Excuse me. So next season, he has an opt-out. He's hitting 244 
339, 845 OPS. That OPS has come down quite a bit over the last month. But 24 home runs on the season, 11.5% walk rate. Uh, the Marlins are 53 and 46. They are 11.5 games out of the NL West. They are tied for the last wild card spot, but they have a negative 22 run differential. So we don't know if Miami is going to be. What's the word? I guess objective and realistic about where they're at in their development as a team, or if they're going to try to drum up uh, enthusiasm and excitement in their fan base and act like this is a playoff team. The run differential says it is not a playoff team. Uh, and being tied for third for the last wild card, I don't know if the Marlins are going to. My my money would say they're not going to make the playoffs. If I'm the Marlins, I am trading Jorge Soler for more young players, more controllable young players, and understanding that this is not my year. Uh, I don't know what they're thinking. If they are indeed willing to to deal Soler, I think he is a perfect fit on the Mariners. Um, he would slot he would slot into that outfield mix along with the DH mix. So, you know, against a tough right-hander, you might sit Ty France, play Mike Ford at first, and DH Jorge Soler. Um, against, you know, left-handed pitching, you would see Soler and Pollock in the lineup together. Uh, you would find at-bats for Soler, whether it is in left field or at DH. Obviously, that would push... Uh, Cade Marlowe, eventually, you know, Jared Kelnick, when he comes back, he might have a little bit of an issue, but it's a good issue to have. I would love to see the Mariners acquire Solaire. I don't think it would take a ton to acquire him, probably a decent minor leaguer. Um, it might hurt a little bit. You might be talking about a Cole Young type. Uh, would you be willing to give up a Cole Young type for for a couple months of Jorge Solaire? Uh Given the Mariners' depth at that position, Axel Sanchez, Colt Emerson, Felnin Celestin, Michael Arroyo, I think unless you think Cole Young is truly special, I would be willing to do that. So Jorge Soler is the first one. The second one is Ian Happ, the uh, left fielder for the Chicago Cubs. Switch hitter, 28 years old. Uh 24, 25, and 26. He's owed 61 million over those three years. He is currently hitting 243, 368 on base percentage, and a 750 OPS, eight home runs, eight steals. So running a 16.1% walk rate and a essentially a 25% strikeout rate. No real platoon splits to speak of. I would want him to be slotted in at second base as opposed to left field. He hasn't played second since 21 but is capable. My assumption is the Cubs at 46 and 51 uh, and six games out of the wild card are looking for young players back in exchange for some of these veterans. Uh, they do have a plus 34 run differential. They are a very good team um, this season, but Hap, it's a player. If the Cubs decide they don't want to chase the playoff berth is a, is a player I would expect them to trade. So Ian Happ would be a fun one, I think, for the Mariners. Certainly a an upgrade at second base. You could play him there every day and slide Caballero into that utility role. 
Uh, next player to speak of is Cody Bellinger. He signed a one-year deal with the Cubs uh, coming off of his difficult couple of years with the Dodgers, 28 years old. Uh, he's a free agent at the end of the year, and he's figured out a way to really hit this season in a way that he didn't the past two. Triple slash at 317, 371, 913 OPS, 13 homers, 12 steals. Uh, is hitting the ball less hard than he did in the past two seasons, but is swinging and missing a lot less. So 340 Babbitt, very high, obviously. But the last couple of seasons, he's been hitting a ton of fly balls straight up in the air and missing a lot of of, uh, pitches. This season, 9.8% swinging strike rate, which is 2.2% lower than last season and 4.4% lower than 2021. So really, he's just putting the ball in play more. Um, The one issue with the Mariners acquiring Cody Bellinger is I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are looking at to acquire Cody Bellinger. So the Mariners would have to give up quite a bit more to acquire him, I think, than the other players on this list. Next, uh, Tim Anderson, shortstop, Chicago White Sox. We talked about him previously. Uh, I think he would move to second base if the Mariners acquired him. His option in 2000, club option in 2024 for $12.5 million. He, at his peak, is a high contact, low walk rate, hitter 300 hitter that can steal bases and hit double digit home runs this season he's been terrible um but in July he's running a 274 324 646 OPS triple slash so you see him coming back a little bit uh I know he's been hurt and I expect the White Sox to sell off just about everybody uh they are 41 and 58 10 games out of first 13 and a half games out of the wild card so Tim Anderson would be I think from a leadership veteran standpoint, an upgrade, you would expect him to produce in clutch situations. Not my favorite of these options, but one to keep in mind. Paul Goldschmidt, first baseman, St. Louis Cardinals, uh, dynamite player, would be a big deal if the Mariners picked him up. On the books with the Cardinals one more year at $26 million in 2024. He's 35 years old. 839 OPS, 16 home runs, 8 steals, 11 or 12% walk rate. Uh, The Cardinals, I don't know if the Cardinals would deal him. His name has come up in trade discussions with other teams. It would probably cost the Mariners, I'm going to assume, one of their major league starting pitchers at minimum. Probably Wu, Miller, Gilbert, somebody in that range. Uh. I wouldn't do it, but his name has come up, so it's worth bringing up. Certainly would improve the Mariners' offense a ton. Uh, And then real quickly, I'll go through the the next four. Seth Brown, Oakland Athletics, uh, corner outfielder, first baseman, 31 years old, not a free agent until 27. Not hitting very well this season, but last season, 749 OPS and 25 home runs. I think he is similar to Mike Ford in terms of the way you would – kind of conceptualize his production. Uh, he would be more of a stopgap with uh, Jared Kelnick out. Uh, it's a pass for me as of right now. I don't think he would cost much of anything. The Oakland Athletics are 27 and 73 and have uh, Taylor so- or Tyler Soderstrom in the major leagues at this point. So Brown could be had for nothing. Um, he'd be a bench piece for me. 
Mark Conha is the right-handed hitting uh, corner outfielder for the New York Mets. He has a club option at $12.2 million next season, 34 years old. Uh, 243, 41, 730 OPS, triple slash, six home runs, seven steals. Uh, Mets are 45 and 51. They're a huge disappointment. I have no idea what it would take to acquire him. I assume not much. Is he an upgrade at in the corner outfield over what the Mariners have right now? You're talking about playing him instead of the platoon of Cade Marlowe and AJ Pollock. Uh, I'd say no, um, maybe the slightest bit, but if it takes something significant or even halfway significant to acquire him, I'd say it's a pass for me, but he's a name that's been out there. Uh, Carlos Santana obviously was on the Mariners last season, first baseman for the Pirates. He is a free agent next season. He's 37 years old. His triple slash is essentially the same as it was last year. This year, it's 693 OPS. Last year, 692. He has nine home runs. The Pirates are 11 and a half games back in the NL Central, 42 and 55. They have a negative 75 run differential. So they're probably looking to get anything they can for Carlos Santana. I know he and Julio were close. A lot of positive energy with him. I would not, if the Mariners don't pick up a big bat, I would not mind that acquisition. I think he would help the morale of the team. He's a, clearly a leader. Uh, he could hit against some tough right-handed pitching if he wanted to sit uh, Ty France. Uh, wouldn't mind it. Don't think it would put them over the top. And the last one is a new is an addition to this list that I actually would love to see the Mariners trade for uh, from a cost standpoint and a performance standpoint. This is the player that I would most like to see the Mariners acquire, and that's Tommy Pham, uh, corner outfielder for the New York Mets. He is a free agent at the end of this season, 35 years old, triple slash 272, 356, 831 OPS with nine homers and 11 steals. Uh, what it would cost to acquire him, I think he falls in a similar bucket to Mark Kana. I have no idea what it would take. I think he is in demand with some teams. But for those of you who don't know Tommy Pham or haven't watched him or follow him, he is salty as hell. Uh, tough dude. Um, would bring an edge to the team. If you think Jose Caballero has an edge to him, you haven't met Tommy Pham. Uh, I think Pham in left field until Kelnick gets back would be great. Uh I don't know if he's an everyday player, but I think playing him like 70% of the time would be awesome. You would have to kind of finagle the Mike Ford, uh, Ty France, you know, AJ Pollock, if you keep him, Jared Kelnick, Tommy Pham, all of those at-bats would impact one another. Uh, but I'd be pumped. I think that's an acquisition that wouldn't or shouldn't cost the Mariners that much, maybe a lower level minor leaguer, like a Michael Arroyo type, maybe a Michael Morales, the starting pitching prospect, somebody of that ilk, uh, maybe even like a Jeter Martinez, who's a left-handed 18-year-old uh, starting pitcher deep in the minor leagues for the Mariners, but very talented. Something like that for Tommy Pham would be awesome. 
but I'd love to see him. I, I think his attitude, his toughness, his snarl, and clearly his production this season would be a huge boost to the Mariners, both offense and uh, uh, clubhouse. I think you pair him with a Carlos Santana or something like that, and all of a sudden you have a big league team um, with a big league approach. So Tommy Pham would be my vote. I also like the idea of Santana. Um, certainly Bellinger and Hap would be fun, and Soler would be fun, but just depends on what, what the Mariners are giving up for him. So again, Mariners have some prospects out there or some some trade targets that I think they're looking at. Uh, I'm very interested to see what happens in the next 10 days. I would expect Emerson Hancock to become the number five starter in in place of Brian Wu once Wu's innings cap is done. And if the Mariners can take two of three from the Blue Jays in this series, I would expect uh, Jerry Depoto to become a bit of a buyer uh, in this market. So going to be fun. I will be back tomorrow with another Mariners cast uh, to review this game against Kevin Gosman and the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Thank you for listening. We are presented by Sports Ethos. Uh, Once again, you can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20. That's T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. I appreciate the listen as always. Take care of y'all. Enjoy your weekend. Eat that barbecue. Drink that beer. I will talk to you soon. Peace.